Welcome back, everyone. This is episode 124 of the Jiu-Jitsu Dummies podcast. We are brought to you by Black Belt Digital Marketing. Anything you need to build your business on or offline, website design, Google ads, graphic design, printing, we can absolutely help. Check us out at Black Belt Digital Marketing on Instagram or our website, bbdigitalmarketing.com. And right there on the homepage, you can request a free online review of your online presence today. You can basically see where your business is at when when you're like... uh, thinking about Google and Google Maps and things like that. A lot of local marketing stuff that we do. My name is Milton Campus. I'm a brown belt training out of South Florida. We got uh, Bo off to the side here. Bo is still here. And then we got Christian and Ben behind the camera. Joining us today is ADCC and IBJJF world champion Robert Drysdale. We've had him on before. This is his second visit. We're going to have him join us in just a few minutes. So don't forget to like, comment, share, click that subscribe button. We'd really appreciate the support. A few quick shout-outs. So we've got uh, thank you to Flow and Roll. Just got a whole new bag of gear. Ooh, which way do we go here? There we go. Uh, hands down, the best custom gi and no gi gear in the business. Don't believe us. Visit them on Instagram at flow underscore n underscore roll and check out their custom designs. Um, they're working with academies all across the country, and we're always saying that they're known for their pre-order program, so you can basically stock up on everything you need for the gym. Your students can order online even before everything is printed. He'll ship directly to them take the money or the profit from the order and actually pay for the order so it's very little out of pocket so check them out at flowenroll.com and you can also get 20% off your general online orders not for your pre-order program but use code JJD to get 20% off your order thank you to Neutral Zone Clean ah we got them right behind us today oh the bucket we got a bucket they got a special so we've got the uh, Neutral Zone bucket this is 1200 wipes this is great for like competitions the gym put this on the side of the mat you pull out They've got a refill. You can, you know, pull out your uh, your wipes. Uh, they're doing a special on this one. This is normally like 110 bucks, 109, 110 bucks. It's uh, $99. And the, actually, the the refills, and then you can get these in like one packs, two packs, four, five packs, like things like that. So everything's on sale. Check them out. Uh, for anything that's not on sale on the website, you can use code JJD for 25% off your order, and uh, just make sure that your neutral zone clean. All right. Leo Optics, we got these guys down here. I think Robert, I think our guest today is actually uh, works with Leo Optics as well. They are a sunglass and apparel company specializing in signature bamboo sunglasses. I got these guys right here. I actually do really wear these guys. I take them off, put them on the table when I get here. These are my favorites. All right. So got these. I would say this style right here is like that Ray-Ban style, but they're literally bamboo, little wood, nice and light. Very cool. But what did you say about them getting wet, right? They Something like they don't get ruined when they get wet. Yeah, bamboo, right. bamboo resists water. Right. Um, their passion is rooted in jiu-jitsu, founded in Southern California with products that reflect the, the jiu-jitsu lifestyle. So you can use code JJD to get 10% off at leooptics.com. Uh, thank you also to BioProTech or BioProtein Technology. It's a biochem- bio-identical alternative to human growth hormone. BioPro contains genetically activated growth factors that support DNA repair, regenerate cells, and help to balance healthy hormones in both men and women. All of this with no needles, no side effects. You can check them out at bioproteintech.com. Get 30% off your order with code JJD on their regularly, regularly priced kits. Mouthful. Uh, so uh, they, they often put their, their uh, packages, or it's like a two-pack, one for the morning, one for the night, like with $100 off. So you can get the uh, $30, $30 off with code JJD when they're not on special. All right. I got through it. Let's do this. Let's get, let's get, I'm trying to get it done faster. I got to figure out a better way. Let's, uh, let's get Robert Drysdale in here. 
Robert, thank you for being patient. How you doing? I'm doing great, man. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be back. You're and, on. Uh, man, looking forward to chatting. Awesome, awesome. You are on our list of returning guests. You know, it's uh, the first interview has always been like a like kind of getting to know you interview, which is which is always you know fun. And then, uh, you know, the second interviews and it's a little bit, uh, I feel like it, it becomes a little bit different and let, let's jump right in. Um, we were just talking right before we came on. Um, you just came out with your second book. It's called the rise and evolution of Brazilian, Brazilian jiu-jitsu from Valet Tudo to Carlson Gracie to its democratization. So I want to start off with, let's explain to everybody that title. Cause the democratization, I want people to understand what that actually means. Yeah. Um, well, the, the rise in, I mean, I, I flirted with the title. Everyone thought it was a bad idea, and it is a bad idea. I'm glad I didn't go with it. But one of the titles I I, I, uh, I flirted with was The Rise and Decline of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Ooh, you would have yeah. caught some flack for that. You know, and, and, and I, I guess, like, people would have misunderstood what I meant by decline. And, you know, I don't dis dispute that a lot was gained, you know, over the past, you know, 20, 30 years. But there's something that has been lost. And I think that's that's one thing that my book, I think I, I, I do touch on that a lot in the book. And I get my point across is that, you know, jujitsu came from a place where it, it came out of the circus. It came out of Olitudo. It came out of uh, judo, right? And it came with the idea of like judo is going in this sport route that's not realistic enough, right? Okay. This Olitudo thing, which is MMA. For those of you who are new to the sport, Olitudo and MMA are the same thing. So Olitudo is real so what the gracie family does is like they they get the judo that they knew right they assimilate all these aspects from from volley so these many trendy fighting styles and moves that are very popular and real and they blend in a system that i call the gracie fighting system gracie jiu-jitsu whatever you want to call it but the main thing that upheld the whole thing was this approach to the reality of combat now it wasn't perfect but they had that guiding principle of course once they create a competitive league it's just natural that competitors develop strategies that lean them push them away from the reality of combat and towards successful tactics competitors don't care about being idealistic competitors care about winning medals right and that's just natural so in a nutshell when they started that process of of creating competitions they basically set jiu-jitsu on the path uh, the same path that judo had been on, right? Like we, we sort of be, we started with this idea of of become becoming more real than other martial arts, but we more or less ended up becoming very much like the martial arts that we came up criticizing because of competition, and that came with good things because the popularization process, right, is positive in a lot of ways. I make a comfortable living because of it, mm -hmm. right? Like I'm very thankful to you know for someone like Joe Rogan who helped popularize jujitsu so much. He was hugely influential. But I also draw the comparison between Joe Rogan and Elvis Presley in my book. You know, if you remember Elvis Presley in the 70s, he was obsessed with karate. And karate blew up. Yeah. Exactly. Blew up. He, Elvis Presley did a lot for karate. And what happened with karate is that I was, I was just in Australia a while ago. And I was talking to these old school karate guys in their 70s. And their knuckles are destroyed. And they, they're, they're telling me back in the day, we used to spar and people get knocked out in practice. Mm -hmm. So I was like, yeah, that was jiu-jitsu in the 80s where people yeah. get slapped in practice you know but if you're going to democratize it if you're going to open it up for moms dads you know the elderly children you can't have that you're not going to have people with that intense practice and what that does is it does democratize it it does commercialize it does popularize it but there's a cost to that right there's a cost to that that brazilian jiu-jitsu was the most efficient martial art in the world i'm not so sure that is the case anymore 
So that's I, the decline in the title that you would have had. Yeah. That's the that's where you that where you cite decline. And there's a it sounds overly negative if you don't read the book, and it's not. I'm I'm very dude. I do just for a living. I make a living from it. I yeah. love it. I mean, if my critique is coming, it is. I, there is some. There's a lot of critiques in there, but it's coming from a good place. It's not coming from a place of hatred. It's coming from a place of love and looking at the things that we can improve on. How can like a coach? You know, you're doing something wrong. I criticize you. I don't hate you. I love you. I'm trying to help you. Right. I do that by criticizing you. Right. So that's mm-hmm. my idea of helping is what can we do to improve on jujitsu and bring it back to its roots? You know, it's 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 too late for that. I, I'm I'm overly idealistic in that regard. I know it's not going to happen, but I think at the very least, the moments should be registered at how that happened. And it happened. It was a cultural and technical process that took decades for us to get here. And that's why, you know, the rise, you know, the popularity and the evolution of the art over the years and analyze everything from rule set to culture to the culture within the Gracie Academy, the Carlson Gracie Academy culture, the beach culture of Rio de Janeiro, and then it's Americanization. I call it the the Americanization of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu by Brazilians. That's that's <laughs> after, because it was Americanized by Brazilians, not Americans, ironically. Yeah. And, um, yeah. So that's that's the the book. You know, it, it it attempts at tracing this 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 genealogy of where we came from, from the circus and judo all the way to where we are today. What do you think about that argument? I, we might have talked about it in the last episode. It's been a while, but that whole argument of like, do we call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu now? Do we call it American Jiu-Jitsu? Do we call it Jiu-Jitsu? Where, where do you stand on that on that spectrum? So there's another chapter called The Americanization of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu by Americans. So, <laughs> um, I think that, you know, the AJJ that, you know, the, the gi version of AJJ is something that's I never understood. It's like it's the same thing. Mm-hmm. There's a major difference. You know, the process of Americanization was a process of commercialization, really, of turning it into a business, which is not something Brazilians did. The first wave of Brazilians that came over the United States, I'll include myself in that wave, we still did the gauntlet. But when we saw the parents' reaction to the gauntlet, we're like, oh, that doesn't work here. <laughs> the gauntlet, yeah. for people that don't know, is once you, when you get promoted, you go through a gauntlet and get whipped with, with uh, everyone's belts. It's people are whipping of- you. Right. Many, many warrior cultures have a rites of passage, and they had that in Brazil. But when American parents saw that, it wasn't what they were used to. You know, they had a different, more commercial approach to martial arts, and Brazilians very quickly adapted. On the other hand, you know, over the years, Americans fell in love with jiu-jitsu. And there's one thing about, you know, you know, Americans, and if you have to have, like, I think, lived abroad to fully appreciate what I'm going to say next, is Americans don't understand being second in anything. Like, it's just mm-hmm. not something that, it's like, no, it's impossible. It's not, it, it causes cognitive dissonance. Like, it's no, it's, you know, unless it's Formula One, which Americans don't care about, or soccer, which Americans don't care about, it's like, we have to be number one at everything. And it's very, and it's very positive in a lot of ways, because it does give you that confidence to believe that you should be on top of the podium every single Olympics. And it's, it, it has some positive connotations. But it also brings some negative ones because sometimes you're just blind and it's sometimes they're just like, no, man, like you're just being, you know, completely unaware of what, what's going on because it's sort of like that blind faith that you're supposed to be on top. And I think the, the no-gi version of American Jiu-Jitsu has an element of that, you know, like that hatred towards IBJJF and Brazilians in general. They don't say it, man. Listen, because I'm half Brazilian and I maybe I don't have an accent, maybe you don't hear an accent. Um, people, they forget that I'm half Brazilian. So I hear this all the time. A lot of people don't like Brazilians, and I think that you know that no gi version of AJJ is 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 very much, and they don't know. No one's going to say it because it's too politically incorrect. But if you dig and you look at it, you know, with scrutiny 
and you take a close look at it underneath the, 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 the masks and you get to the bottom of it, I think it's the resentment towards the fact that Brazilians have been so influential in the sport of Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu in the United States for so long. And I think it's a bit of a reaction to that. And it's a bit of a, you know, because it's not a coincidence that people that refuse to call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu also hate the IBJJF. I don't think that's a coincidence, you know? Agreed. So, yeah. So there's a lot of that, man. So I, and, and because I've had one foot in each camp, I feel like I don't mind talking about these things. Um, but I think there's an element of that. But I mean, I look, I love Nogi, but I don't, I've never looked at Nogi as outside of jujitsu. It's the same thing to me. I think the differences are marginal. The only reason people think there's a difference is because they focus on the differences. If they focus on the similarities, you know, if they're the opposite, right? If they just focus yeah. on everything have in common, they would probably say it's the same stuff, really. It's almost like but, that echo chamber that we hear about, right? Like if you if you look at it from a, through a ne- negative lens, you're going to only see the negative. You're looking for those things, and and you know, and conversely, if you're looking for the like positives, that. you'll see the positives. It's like the it's um um yeah exactly. You're, you're, it's confirmation bias, right? You're yeah, there you go. And, and, and there's a lot of that going on. And I, I as, a, as a coach, I've always taught both. I believe in both. I think they help each other. I don't think there's a contradiction. I think that, you know, but I think that there's a coordinated movement to sort of split the sport. And what's interesting, and I, and I noticed this in my first and second book, it's remarkably similar to what the Gracie family did to the Japanese. Carlos and Helio in particular did to the Japanese in the 1930s and 40s in Brazil. It's very similar for similar reasons, including, you know, personal ambition, they, they use nationalism. I call it pseudo-nationalism. It has nothing to do with patriotism. You know, I, I think that you know, claiming A, AJJ, or even BJJ for that matter, has nothing to do with patriotism. But I think it's, it's appealing to a lot of people if you say it is because people who are patriotic, they feel an immediate allegiance to the acronym. I should mm-hmm. side with this guy, not that guy, because I love my country. Oh, you but, can love your country and just acknowledge that it's all jiu-jitsu too. You know? So when you go to China, they don't call it Chinese food. When you go to Brazil, are they calling it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Never. Right there, it's just Jiu-Jitsu, right? It was, and, and even when uh, you know, if if you follow the, okay, the you know the Gracies brought Jiu-Jitsu to the United States with which you know it's a lot of what you talk about. They didn't call it Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. They were calling it Gracie Jiu-Jitsu even then. When did when did the Brazilian part hit hit Jiu-Jitsu in the, in the United States and hit the 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 acronym? In the United States, in the mid-90s. Yeah. So what happened was, well, Horian sued his own family, didn't let anyone use the term Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you know that story. Carlay won. He's a Gracie. How can he not use his own name to teach Jiu-Jitsu, right? Mm-hmm. So Horian did not have a monopoly over the name, but he tried to have a monopoly over that name because it was a hot name. And in Horian's defense, the heavy lifting to popularize Jiu-Jitsu in the United States was his. No, that guy was cleaning bathrooms and handing out flyers at Walmart parking lots at a time when no one cared about it. It's easy to care about jiu-jitsu today and say, I did it, I did it, showed up at the sport last week, been in jiu-jitsu for like two weeks ago. <laughs> jiu was popular thanks to me. He's like, well, Horian was handing out flyers at Walmart parking lot in the 1980s. Let's not forget that. With that being said, uh, when there was no money to be made from it too, or popularity. But with that being said, you know, Horian does not have monopoly over jiu-jitsu or the Gracie name. That's obvious. So a lot of people scared of being sued, they, they replaced Gracie with Brazilian because the Gracie name okay. was so with Brazilians. But Brazilians had never used the term Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or even Gracie Jiu-Jitsu wasn't common. It was just Jiu-Jitsu. Yeah. Uh, and I mean, I, 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 I don't mind. I don't I mean, there's certainly a Brazilian cultural inheritance that has made its way into the art. 
the beach culture, the relaxed manners. That's all very Brazilian. But in some ways, it is American now, too, because I remember it's become Americanized. Like it's the AJJ is not completely irrational in that sense, because I remember when I started training, if you won a tournament and you took your picture to the local newspaper, it was the equivalent of social media then. Was Yeah, I'm old enough. I'm old enough to remember. That was an embarrassment to promote yourself to to to, to really oh it was an embarrassment it's called marketeiro it was an insult really promote yourself. marketer, marketer you, yeah. that was honorable but if you promoted yourself that was an embarrassment to you in the gym it was like shameful to do that oh. not today it's right because americans and it's i'm not criticizing but america we have this way of like turning everything into a business everything is about making money and growing and and jiu-jitsu did not have that in the 80s and 90s in brazil it became, again, it was a process of Americanization of Brazilians by Brazilians because once Brazilians got here and they saw how things worked and they saw that they could cash in, what do they do? They adapted cash very in. quickly. You know, so one one example, and I'm not saying this as a, as a critique to the guy. I admire him. I respect him. He's done a lot for the art. But, like, when I started training in 98, in 1997, I had this magazine with Mark Kerr. Those of you who remember, Mark, Mark Kerr was like the John Jones of his era. Like, no one wanted to fight. Okay. Mark Kerr, late nineties. He was the number one fighter in the world. He had fought Fabio Grigel for thirty minutes. Fabio mm. Grigel was kilos lighter, so he got you know it was a beating. But he survived for thirty minutes, and he had a big eye. And I remember because mm. I still get like when I remember that, and like man, that's the man right there. He got in top of the stage. He had a mic. And he had a, he almost lost his eye, and he says, "I was willing to lose an eye to defend jujitsu." So he's fighting this heavy wrestler, this thirty kilos, whatever that is, seventy pounds heavier, right? And he's willing to lose an eye to defend the honor of jiu-jitsu. Like, oh, man, that's the man right there. Fast forward 10 years, the same guy thinks that the gauntlet is too intense. Hmm. You know, so clearly something has changed. So we go from I'm willing to go blind to the gauntlet is too intense. So, you know, I'm not making judgments here. I mean, I have my personal ideas of what happened and what should have happened and what we could have done differently. But. You know, we clearly have to acknowledge that something has changed. You know, I'm not suggesting it was better or even, you know, I have some things about the past that I like, some things that I'm critical of, and same thing about the present. But I think the purpose of the book really is, you know, being a, a witness to, and I think I was a witness to largely to this process because I remember training with open hand slaps, take your jacket off, open hand slaps in the face. I remember that, you know. So I think, you know, if anything, the book attempts to be, uh, uh, to you know, bear witness to what happened to jujitsu and the good and things, the good and bad things that came with it. Do you, how do you feel about the combat jujitsu that we're seeing today? You know, Eddie Bravo is probably like kind of heading that charge. What? How do you feel about it? I love it. I think it's yeah. a great idea. I support it. I have one, you know, one reservation about it. It's not a system. It's not a class. It's not an art. It's a show. It's aimed mm -hmm. at entertainment, and you're not going to go very far with that because the pool of competitors, practitioners, and practice in general is too small for evolution to take place. Sure. You need thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people practicing daily to actually create something that would lead somewhere, right? Hopefully closer to MMA, ideally. I don't think it's that's happening. You have people that are practicing on occasion inside their gym with like two or three friends preparing for one specific event. So the, the pool of practitioners is very, very small, too small to create any significant change in the art. But it does entertain. I just... You know, and I have my criticism. I talk a lot about the issue of entertainment in the book. I think it's become too important of a metric in jujitsu. I'm not saying I'm not discarding the importance of entertainment, 
But when you know you, I criticize a rule set or I say something, but people say, "Well, Rob, it's fun to watch." And I'm, I always ask myself when I hear that, what does what does a martial art have to do with entertainment? A martial art has to do with efficiency, you know. And when those two things are not in conflict, like an MMA, for example, that's great. But a lot of times they are in conflict. It's what happened to judo. Judo was so concerned with impressing the Olympic Committee and people and parents that you know they 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 created martial art. The concept of martial arts was created by by Jigoro Kano, as we understand it today. But you know they become less and less martial as a result. Right. And that's what I'm critical of. I think that the metric of success for martial art is never whether it's popular or not, whether it's cool or not, whether it's entertaining or not. It is whether it is efficient for real combat, because that's the metric that's eternal. Like everything else is a fad, comes and goes. Entertainment. Listen, man, entertainment is very fickle. Today, people watch this. Tomorrow, they watch that. Today, they love Joe Rogan. Tomorrow, they like someone else. Today, they like Dave Chappelle. Tomorrow, they like Bill Burr. It's like, man, it's it's very fickle. It's not a it's not a metric. It's not a a, a a a a grand enough metric of success, in my opinion. But the efficiency of combat is eternal. A kimura has worked in ancient Greece. It worked in medieval Europe. It worked in Japan. It works today. Same thing for the rear naked choke, right hand, left mm-hmm. hook. There's things that are unchanged in history, and I think those are should be the guiding principles of where a martial art should be evolving towards. And I think that commercialization, popularization, and the need to entertain often get in the way of that. Do you think, you mentioned the Olympics, do you think that, that jiu-jitsu could ever actually become an Olympic sport? You've got judo, just they've got breakdancing in the Olympics, this this next Olympics. I don't know if you heard about the actual breakdancing is going to be in the Olympics. Now, I, know, I don't know if they're doing like, they, they do like that test where it's not an official sport yet, something along. Yeah. I, I'm not sure if that's exactly what's happening. But if we can have judo, how, why can't we have jiu-jitsu? Um, first of all, I think a lot of people like we, we think of the Olympics because they sold themselves or they sell themselves to the world as this idealistic place where athletes says it's a private organization, just like the UFC, just like any other organization, the NBA, NFL, they're trying to make money. They're not if anyone believing that they're aimed at the what's best for the sport. Or, <laughs> it is, let's remember that they're trying to sell tickets. So if they feel that Brazilian Jiu Jitsu can sell tickets, Trust me, they'll incorporate the Olympics with or without the IBJJF. They'll just do it. Yeah. No one can stop, right? Uh, with that being said, I'm not convinced that's good for me and you. I think it might be bad for me and you. Why? I mean, we make a living. I mean, I don't know. Maybe you don't teach. I teach. I have a gym, right? That's why I make a living from seminars and, and, and teaching class. Imagine it becomes like wrestling, and it's in every high school because it's got government funding now. I mean, how many people are willing to pay for wrestling when you get it for free your whole life? In the sure. States? So you know, what, my point is, jiu-jitsu, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu today is a boutique martial art. You know, depending on where you live, you can, there are gyms charging $300 a month for a membership. Now, you, I don't care. Dan Gable can be your coach. I don't think anyone's going to pay you $300 to wrestle. So I don't know, maybe. But like those are the exceptions in general. People are not going to do it because they're used to not. And like, it's like trying to charge people for anything in France. Good luck. Okay. <laughs> hey, the first time I taught a private in my life was in France. The guy gave me 20 euros. 20. It's like 20 bucks, bro. Because I didn't negotiate with beforehand because I'm too stupid to think that he's actually going <laughs> to 20 euros. Because to him, that was a forge. Was like, that's as much as he's willing to pay for an hour of your life. Because these guys are used to getting it for free. So when you give someone something for free because government is just injecting money into a sport like that, okay, private sector will suffer on the other end. And that's me, right? Okay. So as an individual, the Olympics would be bad for me, I believe, in the long run. But as a fan of the art, I, I mean, I would love to see my, you know, be a coach for an Olympic team one day, you know. That'd be amazing, right? 
I'll be able to participate. Maybe I'll jump out of retirement just because <laughs> <laughs> I participated in the Olympics, you know, but I, I have my doubts whether being an Olympic sport is good for jiu-jitsu in the long run. So do you think that we, we do have our, our Olympics in ADCC? Do you think, I mean, I, I think right, we hear people say this is the Olympics of jiu-jitsu. What do you think about that? No gi. Yeah. I think yeah. I JF obviously. So those two, you know, um, I honestly, man, I don't think the Olympics are net net. Look, look how far we made it without the Olympics. Yeah. I mean, if we became, I think, like I said, for the sport as an individual, it would hurt me, but for the sport, it would be good. It would help popularize yeah. people training more people, you know, maybe some government money into the sport would help it to some degree, you know, but you know, I, I, I feel like we have enough shows, man. I don't think that's, yeah. I don't, I think the right track. I don't, it just sometimes, man, you're driving so fast on the freeway. You're just wondering how far, how much faster can I drive? <laughs> and at some point it becomes not, it's less about speed. It's about safety. You know, it's like, okay, I'm sure you could drive it 200 miles an hour, but then you're going to be dead. You know, maybe if we took the foot off the gas a little bit, keep a steadier pace on the right lane, you know, maybe we can prevent accidents in the future. I think sometimes we have this ambition to grow so fast that we lose track of, you know, we want to make sure we stay in the, in the right lane and sure. we're going in the right direction versus just crashing down the road, right? Uh, I think that is a bigger concern to me, at least, than whether, you know, we're going to have 8 billion people practicing jujitsu tomorrow. It's growing without losing what made jujitsu special in the first place. So when I hear that analogy, I think about when you're talking about change and how fast, what did you think about the last ADCC, this last event, which was just, you know, this you know, fireworks and, you know, the commentators and, uh, or, uh, you know, they had people from, I think it was a uh, one FC, right? The announcers from one FC, like it, it was just this grand spectacle, I think in a good way. What did you think about it? I think it was great. Yeah. I think, look, I wasn't there physically. You know, I saw, uh, some, some matches I watched, I didn't watch all matches. Uh, I saw some highlights too. I think anything that, you know, improves on jujitsu and makes it, you know, helps it bring, you know, people to together and watching it is is great for the sport you know in the past i've gotten flack for being critical of adcc and and i think it has to do with like me writing an article that was critical of the rule set a while back what people didn't realize but the most people just read the title of the article never actually read the article had they read the article they would have seen that there's many things that i like about the adcc rule set they also would have known that the previous article was very critical of the IB, ibjjf <laughs> All of them yeah article the submission only rule set in other words i analyzed all rule sets and i want to did an in-depth critique of all of them and what's good and what's bad about all three rule sets right but some people skipped all that and just read the title robert's a hater you know? <laughs> typical headline sort of like i know. mean that that's happened to you with just you talking about gracies and you know kind of who brought jujitsu here right i mean that's right away it's like oh you said something negative about the gracies you must be a gracie hater you know you, you've actually done the exact opposite you've kind of elevated those who maybe weren't getting the accolades that they maybe deserved right like a carlos gracie and, and others correct perhaps i mean here's the thing that people who called me a hater on that in that regard as far as the the the, the history of jiu -Jitsu. people who didn't read the book mm -hmm. the people who read the books tend to think it's the opposite that i'm actually doing the art a favor and i'm actually elevating many members of the gracie family that were in obscurity like george grace or carlson carlson to me is the most important figure in the whole story i mean to me carlson grace is the most important figure in the history of jiu-jitsu next to carlos gracie jr you know more more important than their own father and helio in my opinion you know but it's just that it's not a popular opinion because we've had a certain narrative. It's been hammered through our heads for 50 years, 60 years of people just repeating the same thing. But if we look at the facts, you know, we, if we try to rid ourselves 
of that initial uh, those preconceived notions, right? That those that narrative, and we can just like look at the facts. I think a very different picture comes about. But I don't mind being, you know, just going back to your question, man. Like I, I think that my my criticism, my I have a way of my my. I mean, I've had so many problems with students over the over the over the years because if if you if you go to a tournament and you win, I'll I'll say good job, but I immediately start criticizing what you've done wrong. And some people can't handle that, man. They just want to pat on the back. But why can't you just compliment me, coach? I'm like, what kind of coach would I be if I kept telling you what you want to hear? You know, I have to tell you what you need to hear. If you don't like it, well, you're the one who's not fit. I'm doing my job. You're the one who's got an issue. My job is to make you better, not to make you feel good, right? You want to feel good, go on Facebook, tell yourself how toxic <laughs> you are and how hardcore you are and blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, okay, that's, not, that's, that's Facebook's job. Yeah, my job is to improve on you as an individual, as a competitor, and that comes with a lot of tough love. That's that's tough love is real love. That's the only love I'm interested in. And that's know? the kind of that's the kind of coach I have. He's uh, don't pat yourself on, don't break your arm patting yourself on the back. You should have done this, or you could have done this, or you should be doing that. And I and I like it. I don't need the fluff. You know, tell me what I'm doing so I can get better. And I and I have that. To me, it's so it's it's my first and second nature to do that. You know, like it's, it doesn't want, cause when I'm, I only, my best friends, you know, the people around me, I want them to be critical of me. I take criticism well. Like I don't mind people pointing me out wrong and I'm wrong all the time. I'm constantly being corrected, but my immediate reaction is like, this is the kind of person I want to be around. You know, like this is like, I don't, I don't like the flatterers, man. They don't take me anywhere. They just distract me. The jujitsu dummies would like to congratulate Neutral Zone Clean on the release of their newest product, a healthy and pH balanced bar soap that's perfect for anyone looking to take care of their skin. This soap is made with all natural ingredients that help nourish and restore your skin's natural barrier. It contains glycerin, which naturally attracts moisture to itself in the skin, leaving it feeling soft and hydrated. The new bar soap also contains a blend of olive, coconut, and castor oils and shea butter, which are rich in vitamins, nutrients, essential fatty acids, and antioxidants that help fight harmful bacteria. With tea tree and other natural ingredients, it also helps in the prevention of fungal infections. Not only is it effective, but it also leaves your skin feeling fresh and lightly scented. It's gentle enough for even the most sensitive skin, making it a perfect choice for the whole family. Be sure to check out their website, NeutralZoneClean.com, for a range of all natural products, including sprays, wipes, and shower gels, and use code JJD for 15% off your order. Special thank you to the crew over at Flow and Roll for all their support. Flow and Roll is renowned for their incredible Nogi rash guards, shorts, and leggings. Flow and Roll has quickly become the premier custom apparel provider for academies big and small throughout the United States. Reach out today to discuss your custom order and ask about their incredible pre-order program. You can send an email to flowenroll at gmail.com or visit their Instagram at flow underscore n underscore roll and shoot them a direct message. And yes, they can create an awesome custom gi for your academy as well. Visit flowenroll.com to check out their awesome designs and while you're there, pick up a jujitsu dummy signature tee exclusively at flowenroll.com. And remember, you'll get 20% off your purchase of t-shirts, rash guards, or gis with code JJD. You know, so, um, so I have that to me, it's just, it's a personality trait, you know? So, but like, man, I, I, I love ADC. I don't, I mean, with that being said, I mean, ADCC has opened so many doors for me. I made a living from, you know, that title. So this day, every time I teach a seminar, that's the guy that won ADCC, you know, that was like, what, almost 20 years ago, 15, 20 years. That's a long time ago. 2005, 2005, 2005? 2007, 
So we're going on, you know, we're approaching, like just past, like, you know, it's a long time ago, man. Here I am still making a living from it. So I, but it's, there's some things about it. When people say the ADCC is bringing ice to jiu-jitsu, I was like, pause, pause, pause. Let's see yeah. There's a 100-year history here. People handing out flyers at Walmart parking lots, right? People fighting when there was no money to be made, getting punched in the face, elbowed, and headbutted in the face. You know, people willing to lose an eye for jiu-jitsu in combat. Sure. Dramatic example, but my point is there's a genealogy here that's being ignored. And then people who walked into the sport last week are saying, it was me, 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 everything was me. It was like, no, you know, like there's a, there's a hierarchy, man. And I think that's great that people are jumping on board and they're enthusiastic and they're helping and they are helping. But, you know, you don't start a hierarchy on the top. You start from the bottom. And the people who, who've been working at this for 40, 50 years, they're the ones that have done the heavy lifting. I think we should honor them. You know, I think it's important to remember. It's like saying that, I don't know, man. It's like, it's like to me, it's like, it's like forgetting about, you know, Thomas Jefferson, George Washington, the militias. Like, oh, they did nothing for this country. I did everything. It's like, no, there's every, 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 every country, every, every art, every, it has a history, man. And, it, and there's, a, there's a hierarchy there that needs to be respected. And I guess it gives me a bad taste in my mouth when people pat themselves on the back saying, I did everything, or I did this, or without me, this wouldn't be here. And that's, that's my critique. It's, the, it's the, the entitlement and the arrogance. And it's all nepotism, you know? And I, I don't respect nepotism. I respect merit. I'm a very merit-oriented person. And I respect the hell out of people that work their way up and they pay the price, the iron price. But people who parachute into positions of power and think pat themselves on the back and they think they did everything, I think that's it's it's this extreme form of narcissism. I just don't respect it. I never will. Let's go back. You mentioned earlier in the in the podcast, um, and and I'm this is in the book, and I'm for, I haven't read the book, but we're gonna I'm gonna listen to I'm gonna listen to both books, and I want to have you back on after I've been able to get to both of them. Um, you mentioned the circus a few times, and how jujitsu and or like, judo kind of had its start. Right, it was more. Show, let's call it showy, right? It was, you know, it wasn't as widespread. So people were seeing this, and were they actually in the circus or part of the circus? Well, the, the circus was, I mean, circus mm -hmm. in the early in the 20th century was Netflix, uh, Instagram, uh, okay. CNN. If you work throughout the day, you go to the circus on the weekend, entertain yourself, right? So one of the acts was were these coordinated fights. Now, remember, if people have a hard time understanding grappling today, you imagine, you know, in the 1920s, people had no idea what was happening. So they had to coordinate everything. So very few of these matches were real. They were all coordinated. Now, some of these guys might have wanted to make them real, but they were cross-style matches. And they had to come up with rule sets on the go. They, every different, every match had its own set of, like, you know, uh, uh, well, this is after, before it was all coordinated. But eventually people started figuring things out. People want something more real. I suspect it had something to do with Brazilian machismo. You know, it's like, no, that's not real. Let's see who's the better man. Like, let's have these guys. And eventually they end up with what we call Valitudo. They, 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 they craft the system. It's very influential in the Gracie family's fighting system. They incorporate aspects of, you know, you see, I mean, if you dig, you're going to see videos of these guys kicking and punching and pictures of Helio throwing kicks, you know? So it's like, man, what is that? That's not Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. Well, that was their understanding of Jiu-Jitsu then. It's changed over time. But it included strikes, right? And ballet too, though, is is basically what we would call MMA today, right? MMA, the yeah. same thing. We just changed the word from, I mean, Valetudo allowed headbutts. Technically, that would be the only, and they 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 mostly pra they practice without gloves. Okay. So that's what open-handed strikes. So they don't, you know, you punch the back of someone's head, you break a hand. 
So, like, I mean, if you watch Hoist, he I use a lot of open hand strikes. So just if you remember the yeah first, yeah yeah. You know, so he'd uh, soften somebody up, like be on the back and soften somebody up with with hand strikes, right? During a street fight, you're better off unless you're a very good boxer and you know really know how to place your punches. You're better off open-handed strikes than you are closed hand, you know, close fists. Because unless you really know how to place your punches, you're going to break a hand. Mm-hmm. You know, very common in street fights. So, so these guys do all that and they have that 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 that. They, so they start with the circus and then they create a system that is grounded in reality. But that is not enough. They have to absorb aspects of judo, like the competitions, the ranks. They have to make it a little more commercial if they want to grow. And they manage that. They remain in silence, practically obscurity in Brazil for 40, 50 years, which I think is incredible. Because if you were running this podcast for 40 years and you had only three or four listeners, I, you know what I'm saying? Like, you, it's, 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 it, if I were to jiu-jitsu and I had three students, you know, I, I'm, that's that, well, these guys, they, they had a, no audience, man. And I think that's incredible. Like when you think about it, there was not a lot to be gained. When no, I mean, they had some notoriety in Rio, but outside of Rio, no one knew who they were. Even in Rio, most people had no idea who they were. So it's remarkable. They stuck their narrative, they stuck to their story, to their view of things and their way of doing things. And like you know, I, to Frank Sinatra's tomb, they did it their way. Yeah. And they they came on top after a long tunnel of obscurity in Brazil, and they they they, won. they made the most popular, created the most popular system in the world when it comes to combat. But, you know, there are things that have been lost. And I use the circus as an analogy because I do think we're going full circle and back to the circus. <laughs> you think? <laughs> well, you saw the UFC buying power slap. You saw the UFC associating with the WWE. You're watching a lot of these professional events doing comedy skits. We saw that in the PFL. We saw that in the last ADCC. They're doing some comp because, like, entertainment is something that you cannot entertain enough. you got to keep raising the bar. you got to keep raising the bar. You know, the, the bread and circus kind of mentality. You got to keep entertaining the masses if you want to keep that money coming. But if that becomes your, your, your MO, if that becomes your motif of being, right, what happens is eventually you become a circus. You're going to become so commercialized, you end up like WWE. Not exactly like them, but in that direction. You become overly concerned with entertainment and you're losing that metric of the reality of combat, which ought to be the primary match, metric of any, you know, efficient combat system. Which is credibility. You have to have credibility. You lose credibility, you're going downhill. And that's, you know, that's critique I make in the book. So that's why I start the book with the circus. And I kind of end with conclusion, wrapping it up, saying we're moving in that direction again. I really believe this is, is we're kind of going full circle here. There's a lot of similarities with the past is what I, the point I'm trying to make. Which, by the way, is not my, that's not my idea. That came from Shockey, from Roberto Pedrera. I, I cite him a lot in the book. It would be unfair to say that that's my conclusion. It's his. I just expand on it a little bit. I think his is more written in between the lines. It's harder to read. I had to read it three times to get it, you know, but I think my, I'm explicitly saying the same thing where he just said it first and it's just more concealed behind the words. I don't say that. Yeah, I had this, this question. Let, let me, let me phrase it this way. Tell well, give me three things that you think are, are going good in jujitsu or have have been good for jujitsu in the recent past? Let's just say the last few years. And three things that you would change if you had the control to change them. What are those like, you know, positives and negatives? Give me three of each. Um, I'll start with the positives. I think positive, more people training. Like, you know, like you don't have to explain to people what Brazilian jujitsu is. 20 years ago, you had to. People had no idea. Uh, I think that the, the level of techniques has gone through the roof. I can't keep up, man. I can't keep up. I try. 
it's like a new technique every day. I'd have to make it part time. <laughs> and but at the same time, there's some there's some there's some good things about that. All these things, but look, the good things are also the bad things. We're gonna get there. Yeah. Right. And jujitsu is a completely open canon. There's no, it's very different from judo in that regard. There's no fixed philosophy. There's no fixed culture. There's no fixed technical canon. It's out in the open, which rapidly, you know, keeps it open for anyone to change and modify it as they wish. I think the negative things are all the same. So the popularization comes with watering down a bit of quality of the product. You know, I think that uh, being overly concerned with entertainment, again, is is not a good, you know, way to look at things. Um and, you know, in, in general, I think we're, you know, again, I mentioned this before, but we're sort of becoming what we used to criticize, you know, and I'm a little wary of that. You know, that's the, that's, those are the negatives, I think. Um, popular is good, but not at what cost, though. You know, like, you know, if you, if you picked out a random black belt, like an above average black belt, maybe not a world champion, but an above average black belt in the 90s in Brazil, and you threw him in the UFC, he may not win, but he put up a fight. If you put that like the average or above average black belt today, we're one of the best, some of the best guys out there, and you throw them in the UFC, they get killed. You know, now how does that happen when the population, the jiu-jitsu population, has increased a hundredfold, yet we're less represented in MMA? Like we used to be the most rep, most represented art in MMA next to American wrestling, right? Now we're like one of the least, and people get mad when I say this. I was like, but what's also the truth? You can get mad at you all you want, but it's the truth. You know, how many, I mean, we're not creating, you know, MMA champions like we used to because our system is not optimized. The same beauty of these moves that we're watching. I'm watching some of these bearing bolo transitions. I'm like, man, it's beautiful, but it's also not real. I mean, I think kata is beautiful too. It's also not real. I think some of those judo throws are beautiful, but they're not efficient for combat. There's a reason why you don't see them in UFC because efficient is normally associated with simple and simple doesn't sell. Yet simple is what works. You know, right hand, left hook, guillotine, kimura, or naked choke. That's the stuff that we see consistently, right, in a fight. Uh, but it doesn't sell because if I put a YouTube video of me showing a rear naked choke, no one's going to watch it. But if it's a boogie choke, oh, my God. Oh, boogie choke. <laughs> you know, so it's, I don't even it's, know what a boogie choke is. What is a, what's a boogie choke? It's made up name <laughs> it's side control you do like this, this this triangle with your arm and like you know it's it's a really cool move but i think people get seduced by it because they see the highlights right and the algorithm shoots it to the top because it's so interesting you know whereas like a rear naked choke is not so like you know we, we we're kind of moving away from efficiency towards what's entertaining and cool and I think that's it's like I love the creativity side, but I, I'm critical of us not having a central a central canon to follow because there's no guidance. There's no direction. Where are we going? What's the purpose here? Oh, just leave it up to the competitors. Okay, but they just want to win. They don't care about what's efficient, what isn't for combat. Oh, but we don't care about combat. Oh, okay. So what are we then? I mean, what are we going to evolve into if we don't care about combat anymore? That's what gave us credibility. What gave Hoist Gracie credibility was not the fact that he was pretty. In fact, compared to Van Damme, Hoist Gracie is ugly. I think Van Damme is way cooler. I think Bruce Lee is way cooler than Hoist Gracie. But what's more efficient? What made us? What got us here? What made Joe Rogan fall in love with Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu? Huh? Was it because it was pretty? No, because that shit worked. He, so he realized it was a deficit in his game just from from just doing Taekwondo. Amen. Yeah. So once you lose that, what are you then? Like, if you lose precisely what distinguished you from other martial arts, the reality of combat, right, which is a concern they had in the 70s and 80s in Brazil, early 90s, if you lose that, what, where are you going? What's next? You know, I, that's, I think that's the, 
those are the negatives. So let's, uh, we're going to, we'll take a turn here. I'm very curious about the documentary. I, uh, I did listen to you on, on a couple of other podcasts and you mentioned it, but let's tell everybody what's going on with the, with the podcast. Now, your first book was kind of a recounting of your time filming the, the documentary and things that stood out to you and things that you wanted to elaborate on. Correct. Right. And then the movie itself, tell everybody what's going on with the, with the documentary. So, um, I have zero experience with filmmaking. I mean, now I, <laughs> I had zero, but I'm like, I, I believe I can do something even to the point of delusion sometimes. Like I'm even not looking back and like, what was I thinking? But I said, I think that someone, I, cause I, when I read Shocky, I'm like, man, this is incredible. How can people don't know this? It's all documented. So historical facts. This is all documented. This is not conspiracy theory. This is not internet research. This is a professional scholar dedicated a lot of his time to put this story together in a way that historians will appreciate 200 years from now. Why don't people know this? Right. And I realized when I, I try to get people to read it, they wouldn't read it or they couldn't finish it. So it's like, okay, we got to do a film there. Let's do a documentary. And I was working for ACB at the time. So I raised the funds through them and I had a crew. And at first it was great. They're very gifted filmmakers, but you know, they couldn't stick to schedules. Long story short, they kept missing deadlines. Their own deadline, like they missed every, every single deadline they created, they missed. You know, and it got to the point where like we were like three years in and like no very little progress made. And I fired them, right? We got it was a bit of a uh, you know, legal issue there too. I remember you mentioning that. I it's yeah. solved. I got I'm the copyright holder, you know, contractually speaking, and and I had to find a new crew and that took time. And then there was a you know, it's, there's I found a team in Brazil and they're working on it, but Brazilian law has made it very difficult in the last few years to wire money to Brazil. So it's okay. been difficult because you have to explain. It's it's very very bureaucratic and time consuming because no one gives a shit that it's your, you know, it's about a just document. They care about their protocol and so it's been very slow. It's in works. It's 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 a lot of hit. Listen, man, I'm a one man army at this point, and I have I run an academy. I run an affiliation system. I teach seminars. I have kids. Um, I write books on my free time, but a lot of things are not in my hands. Like if they were up to me, this would thing would have been done year the first year. Like I can be accused of being immature. I can be accused of being naive. I can be accused of being overly optimistic and enthusiastic about things. There's one thing you can't accuse me of is work ethic. That's I refuse. I, that that I'm not guilty of. Like I, I I'll work 20 hours a day if I have to to get something done. You know, like I don't do never my. That's the one thing. So I I know it's not me in that regard. But there's a lot of things that I I didn't know that I didn't know when I walked into this. Right. So. You know, it's going to happen, but it's just taking longer than expected because for issues that have nothing to do with me, it's just a lot of red tape that I got wrapped up in over the years and um, all due lack, I think, lack of experience and being naive, I think, very naive towards people. To me, a handshake means something to me. Like, I don't know, like I'm old school like that, man. Like, if you, if you give me your word, I'm like, OK, I believe you, you know, like, but that's not how the world is, man. Like a handshake means nothing to people. The word means nothing to people. A written schedule means nothing to people. People just kind of do whatever the hell they want and i'll see you in court there's a reason there's so many attorneys in the world <laughs> so a place like like everything is a legal battle if you want if people don't i don't know they just don't stick to what they say so is it going to be a movie or i i i feel like i heard you mention that it's going to be more of like a four-parter is, yeah. is that what you're going to do yeah it's a four-part series um which is in, in some ways it being held back is a good thing because i have a much better understanding of it now including I wish I could reduce some of the interviews. I would ask very different questions. 
I think I'm far more mature now than I was, you know, five years ago when we interviewed these people. Uh, but I think I have a much broader scope of how Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu evolved over the years. And so I think it will be more informative because of more historically accurate, I think, as well. Are they so just recutting what you have or do certain interview arts or certain things going to be redone? I mean, you were the interviewer. Are you going to be the interviewer again or have you already done that part or? I, well, they, we had to recut everything. We okay. have to base it from scratch. So we just wasted like a good three, four years with the previous team. Um, paid them all over again, which is being done. At this point, it's coming out of my pocket, and that's fine. I put gave my word. It's going to happen. I don't care what the cost is. Um, but, you know, it's it's I, I can't interview people again. A lot of these guys have passed away. Mm-hmm. Um, but we have a lot of good content, man. Like, there's a lot of good footage there. So it's, it's, it's going to happen. Okay. How long do you think it's going to take? <laughs> I, I, I see people before the end of the year, but we reached another roadblock that's not up to me. It's just, I guess, like, one thing I could be guilty of, I'm overly patient. You know, if people ask for time, I'm always like, sure. But I think that the, the squeaky wheel is the one that gets the oil. You know, I have to be more, like, pressing more. And But I'm hoping, you know, I'm hoping we're, we reach a roadblock. We should be back in production before the end of the year. So I don't know how long it's going to take after that. Because we have a competent team in Brazil, people that are professionals that stick to schedules, I think we could probably finish the whole thing in like three to four months once we're back on track. So now distribution-wise, do you feel like it's just something that you're just going to put online or are you going to try to get some type of distribution deal like a Netflix or a Prime? And... Yeah, that's the plan is Netflix, Prime. And it's a very good time to do it because, I mean, jiu-jitsu has never been more popular. I mean, we got Zuckerberg obsessed with jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. We got like, like every Hollywood celebrity is training jiu-jitsu these days. So... Um, that's a very good time. I'd be surprised if like a network like Netflix or Apple TV is not interested. I don't think as long as the quality is good, I don't think I would have a problem selling this. Mm-hmm. So in a way, it's almost like the weight has been a good thing. And more people know about it. Like everyone who's read the book and the books sold really well, mm-hmm. for sure they're going to watch. So right there, I already have an enormous audience, just the people who read the book, right, worldwide. So I know there's a big audience for it. So it's, it's, it's in a way, this weight has been positive. When you said it was a good time, I thought you were going to cite the strike right now, right? The 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 writers and the actor strike in the U.S. Oh, here. Yeah, they're they're on strike, so there's a lot of there are a lot of TV shows. I actually have a charter bus company that's a client in New York City, who is being affected by the fact that there are I think sixty plus TV shows on a daily basis that are being filmed in New York City, and they would bus a lot of the you know the the staff around the crew. And uh, they're getting hit really hard right now. So, but the the point I was going to make was that they're looking for content. They they're going to need content. There's going to be this. Uh, they probably say like they're not going to be outside of this strike till the first quarter of next year. So there's this six month period of things that aren't getting filmed and a a void for for content that needs to be filled. So on top of Things it being you know jujitsu being so popular right now, um, there's a void in in production. That, that's productions at a standstill for for most. I think uh, um, even uh, reality television they've jumped on like these stars that that got paid like maybe a one time fee and now their their show is you know re, is on reruns and and maybe sold to Netflix and things like that. They're looking for money too. They're looking for residuals and money and things like that. So um, yeah, I I. I Something to to think about if if you had that done by first quarter of next year, you know these these larger companies, uh, especially these streaming services, are, are really hungry for content. 
That's good to know. I did not know that. Yeah. That's news, I guess. Um, I mean, if it's up to me, this thing would be done tomorrow, man. But like, you know, the, the thing about working with the team is that you got to choose it very, very, very carefully. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I, that's, um, I'm not big on these self-help books, but I, someone recommended me one. And I said, the only thing I took from it was like, you're going to get anything. You're going to get started. You got to get the right people on the bus, you know? And I was just like, yeah, that's pretty obvious, but it was also, it's kind of one of those things you got to be constantly reminding yourself of, you know, you always, you know, you have to have the right team. The sky's the limit. Yeah. But I'm sure there's lots of lessons in here. You could say, I'm, I'm making this joke a lot lately that people in our world, whenever they're doing something outside of jujitsu, they'll say something like, well, I'm a white belt at this, or, you know, I'm, I'm kind of like a brown belt at doing this thing. So I guess maybe you were white belt when you started this whole thing. And now you're a, maybe what a, a purple or brown belt in production now. Purple, you're getting purple. there <laughs> when it launches. Maybe you're going to, you, you'll be either, you're a black belt, right? And you know what? I actually love the process of creation. Yeah. Like I totally see myself like writing for like, I could, I watch TV differently now. I watch TV from like, like, ah, I wouldn't have done it like that. Why are they doing it? <laughs> I'm so much more critical of the writing and the, 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 the angles and the, the editing, the camera angles and all of it. Like I see it from a whole, I feel like it was a crash course in filmmaking. With that being said, you know, I, I'm never touching this again. Yeah. First, I'm never, I, I can't, I can't, I dude, it's, it's, it's filled with people, the artsy kind of people that are just like, Hey bro, do it later, <laughs> man. <Bye." laughs> I, I, I've got one of them sitting off to my left. <laughs> I can't handle it, man. Like, dude, it's, it's, Thursday means Thursday. End yeah. Story, you know? uh, no. Anyway. Well, that's a listen. I think uh, I'm a I'm a firm believer. If you're a good person, you know the whole everything happens for a reason. I think that there are usually some positives that come out, come out of that. So besides, you know, having a crash course in production, uh, maybe not a crash course because it happened over such a long period of time. But but you know the 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 lessons that you're going to learn from this are you know might potentially you know take you a long way when it comes to um, you know the next project if you do something else after this. And you know, man, like everything you do, whether it's jujitsu, work, anything, career, school, man, you, you really, what you take from it is the experience. You know, we, 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 we keep our eyes on the prize, whether it's the trophy, the money, whatever that you've got your eyes on. But when everything's said and done, you know, it's the experience that you take with you, the positive and the negative. And I value my negative experiences. You know, now I'm that one that's when they're happening, you hate them. You know, you just hate life. You hate everyone. You're just angry, you know, but afterwards i look back like i look at my losses in jiu-jitsu and i look at how much i grew from them i'm like oh it's almost like it was a good thing you know so i i'm not one of those to be pessimistic i at the time i'm very pessimistic be very negative but i always heal from it like i never stay in that pessimistic state of mind i always find a way to use those destructive moments those moments of anger and pain and whatever it is i'm dealing with and i come out stronger on the other end yeah i I learned that from jiu-jitsu and I hope that stays with me for so like I know that, you know, I, I'm not resentful towards anything. It is what it is. I'm like a glass is half full kind of guy. I got many great things in my life going for me. I, I was able to write two books. I always run and write a book. I wrote two. I got another one in mind, you know, that as soon as I can get some time in my schedule, I want to sit down and write it. So like I have all these things that I want to do. And like it's and, and what got the ball rolling was the, the documentary production. So at the end of the day, man, with everything said and done, regardless of results, I'm happy that I, I threw myself in the fire and did it. Yeah. Uh, I was saying before, you know, I, I am often telling people, you know, 
the what I just said to you that if you're a good person, I, I tend to believe in kind of uh, uh, not necessarily that I'm like a it's really super into the book, but the power of the secret, right? You know, right? If you, it's really about energy. If you are, that's why I say, if you're a good person, meaning if you're putting out good energy, even the negative things that happen usually wind up finding a way back to something positive. And that's the way that I, I kind of look at everything these days. Anything that I can look back on in my life that, you know, something negative that happened, it's like, oh, wow, if that wouldn't have happened, I wouldn't be in this exact place experiencing this positive thing, right? So, uh, I mean, I look at, I look at just about everything like that. We have a, we have a couple of questions before we uh, wrap up. I'm going to do I got a couple of listener questions and then uh, we're going to do our drill down, which are kind of like some of the most popular questions that people send us. I think we did this with you last time, so uh, they've evolved a little bit, but we'll we'll get into those as well. So our first question is from Monkey Jiu Jitsu. Uh, he says, "What does Robert Drysdale think the, is the future of Gi Jiu Jitsu? Our IBJ." It really, this should say, I'm reading it as he wrote it, but let me say, is the IBJJF going to continue being the top level, or does he think another sanctioning body will compete for the top level in regards to gi? That makes sense? So the first yes. part of that question is, what do you think the future of, of gi jiu-jitsu is? I think it's going to keep evolving. I think it's going to keep growing, but it's going to drift from the reality of combat. I think that there's an attempt to create a secondary world outside of gi jiu-jitsu and no gi. Uh, whether it's going to succeed or not, I don't know. I think that's up to the IBJJF, really, because as long as they keep the rules similar, like for example, when they legalize heel hooks, I think that was a great move because you keep the arts. Because I think once you lose compatibility, then it's over. And what does that you mean? What do you mean compatibil compatibility? Now, for example, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu and Judo are barely compatible. There's some like karate and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are not compatible, right? Judo and Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu are somewhat compatible. Right, the the heel hooks and in IBJJF system were somewhat compatible. They were becoming less and less compatible. When IBJJF legalized the heel hooks recently, right, they kept those, those that body of technique, those that whole new uh, uh, scope of knowledge that was coming about. That's come about in the last five, ten years. They've absorbed it into their system, so they keep it compatible. Right, I mm -hmm. thought that was a brilliant move. I'm glad they did it. And as long as they keep doing that, I think that competing organizations or competing people trying to split the sport are going to have a very hard time doing that because at the end of the day IBJF is the leading body of the sport and I I I don't I have two minds about monopolies I think monopolies can be very good or very bad I think competition is good I think that the, the threat of ADCC or some other organizations Jiu-Jitsu World League or NAG or whatever it is is good because competition keeps you sharp you get very comfortable if you don't have competition right I mean ADCC is running running uh, uh competitions are just about every week now right just like the ibjjf right i think every time I, I i open up instagram there's somebody posting you know adcc you know Asheville, adcc you know cali and the more competitions the better whether it's ibjjf adcc or anyone else I, i'm a big fan of competition especially if you're coming up you should be competing as much as your schedule and finances allow uh and i think that's a good thing you know but you know it's 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 a matter of what's the future of the gi is I, I i think this idea that the gi is dead is i i, I don't I don't understand why anyone would say that. We have the Jiu-Jitsu Con coming up, 10,000 competitors in the Gi. It's like, how? I mean, that's growing. Like, it's not, it's not shrinking. But, you, you, you know, cite, cite, you know, who's saying that? It's usually a, 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 a no-gi competitor saying that. Um, and because they, they make their living from that, from yeah, trying to score. Yeah. They're, you know, it's, it's the same crowd we discussed before. They don't like the IBJJF because they're not part of that circuit. 
if you what they have in common is that they're not accomplished in that circuit. So they have to like create a new dude. It's almost identical to what the Gracie family, Carlson Hilo did to the Judokas. Because they couldn't yeah. defeat the Judokas in judo rules. They couldn't do it. So what do they do? Craft a universal. Yeah. Craft yeah. a universal throne where you're at the top of the pyramid. You're at the top of the high you create a new hierarchy where you're at the top. That's what they did. You know, one yeah. thing that annoys me is when somebody says, you know, uh, like forget about just saying jujitsu doesn't work on the street, but somebody that says like, you know, key jujitsu doesn't work on the street. I'm like, you know, Oh, you wouldn't be able to grab. Yes, I would. If I'm, somebody's wearing a jacket, right. If I'm, you know, it's winter time or, you know, fall in New York and I'm in a fight with somebody, they've got a jacket on. I've got plenty to grab. I don't get that argument. I just think it's bullshit. I think there's now, I'm not only that who's walking around in a rash guard, you know, for that matter. Or yeah. <laughs> who's doing that either, you know, no one's about scooting. It was like, oh, but you, you no one's going to sit for a hill. <laughs> in the, You're a ball. the only people think these things are great ideas in a fight are people that never been to a fight. Yeah. Anyone who's seen a bar fight knows that falling back for a hill hook is a truly stupid thing to do. You're going to get stomped by random people. Yeah. You know, even people trying to, stop the fight or accidentally going to step on your face. Yeah. You know, just never a good idea to do those things. I, I, I think that to me, like that, the, the, the bar is MMA, MMA for all its flaws. And there are a lot of things I don't like about MMA, but as far as it becoming a lab to test what works and what doesn't, it's the best things ever happened to martial arts. Yeah. I mean, I think, really. I think MMA, when, you know, you say MMA, you're obviously saying mixed martial arts, but I think for the kids that are coming up and these youngsters that are in, in the UFC now, MMA is the art. Like they're learning everything. There is a wrestling room at their gym. They're learning striking. They're, they're learning all of these things. When they go to the gym, in some cases it's the same gym, they're learning all of these things. The art for them is MMA, the, the mix of all of these things. So I think, uh, I think it's going to continue to evolve, but I, that's the way that I, that I talk to it. You know, when, when people are talking about like somebody's a specialist in something, um, well, not, I don't think it's going to be like that forever. I definitely think you'll have your jujitsu school and you'll have your this school and your striking school and you might go to a different place for boxing. But I think that uh, these days it is martial art is I'm going to the gym to do MMA. I am going to this place to learn everything. I'm going to today's wrestling tomorrow stand up. You know, my first school was like that. Um, you know, we had our stand up classes on Tuesdays and Thursdays. We did, you know, we do, uh, we call it MMA and we'd mix our jujitsu with our hands. So, um, let, let me go to our next question. So um, I'm going to elaborate on this question a little bit. We have Jayla Martinez. She said, why did you open up your jiu-jitsu gym? I'm going to say um, for as a suggestion or second part of this question, as a suggestion, do you think, do you recommend people like to open up their own gym? You know, you, I'm, I'm on the cusp of, a, of, of becoming a black belt and everybody's like, are you going to open up your own gym? And I'm like, no, that's a whole different beast. I'm not a teacher. I'm not an instructor. I've got two businesses. I don't have the time. I don't want to deal with it. But, but talk to us about why you opened your gym. Oh man. I, I, when I moved to Vegas, I didn't want to, I owned a gym in Brazil and it was never profitable. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> never from it. Uh, when I moved to the United States, I wanted to fight. You know, I was okay with coaching because it was some side money I was making. I enjoyed the experience of coaching, but I was actually coaching fighters before I even fought, you know. And, um, but when I, you know, it was, I had a, a big following, man, in Vegas. And I, you know, I have a friend of mine, Sean Rigo at the time was like, dude, let's do this. Let's do this. Let's, like, he kind of convinced me. Same guy who convinced me to move to the United States. Cause I, I was happy in Brazil. I wasn't, I wasn't moving. I moved cause I, I got convinced and I got convinced to open a school and, it was successful right away. And I like to teach. That's the thing. I think that's the main reason. I love to teach. I never thought I'd be a good fighter, but I always knew I could be a good coach. 
you know, and I, I, I love to teach, man. I love the process of watching people grow. And, and I, I think I'm a good coach, man. Like I really not, not, you know, sound arrogant. I say it like that, but like, I think I'm a good coach. I'm a good teacher. I, I do it with the heart. I mean, when it comes across, when I teach, man, it's all heart. Yeah. You know, of course I like to get paid, but it's not, I mean, anyone who's doing jujitsu and is trying to make money from jujitsu is like, bro, pause. You're in the wrong profession. <laughs> Silicon Valley, land development, construction. That's where the money is, man. Don't, don't do jujitsu for money, man. Don't, don't. We'll find if it ha it's, it's a plus, it's the icing on the cake. If it happens and you're super successful sure. at it, right? It's a side effect, you know, like yeah. that's, it's, it's better ways. If money is your obsession in life, there are better ways to do it. You think it's oversaturated? Like, you know, when I, uh, again, I'm in the marketing field and I help people with like their Google business profiles and help them get found more. And I remember I was talking to somebody with a jujitsu academy in Austin, and this was like right when Joe Rogan was moving there. And if you do, if you search jujitsu in Austin, Texas, and you look at the map that comes up, it's just like dots everywhere. And it's like super saturated in a very small amount of space. Do you think it's oversaturated? Do you think that it's, you know, for somebody that's thinking about opening a gym, especially in that market, it's just like a, you know, don't do it. No, it's not saturated. It's going to keep growing. I think it's, we're not peaking yet. I think we're, we're, we're going to peak soon eventually. And it's going to stay there for a long time. And then it's going to start declining like everything else. I hope not. But that's what typically happens to martial arts, right? They have a rise and decline. And, and, and that's sort of like with everything, really. Like any sport, okay. really. Very few sports can stay at the top, like NFL, basketball. They manage to crack that code, you know. But the vast majority of sports experience, you know, like it's, you know, I hope I'm wrong. But I think that if you will plan on opening the gym and you're watching this and you're thinking about it, First thing you got to understand is that teaching class is the fun part. That's not, that's like five, 10% of the job. Yeah. Most of the heavy lifting is if you, if you want to open a gym, you have to like dealing with people, people's emotions, people's problems, people complaining. So you have to be a people person. If you're an introvert, it's not for you. Okay. Um, and the other thing is you have to like sell spreadsheets and, and software. <laughs> the marketing side of things, right? marketing because the people don't see that part all they see is the class oh i know some moves i can open a school and then they throw themselves in the position they realize that the showing teaching class is the reward that's the fun part it's the, the business admin like i i my, my manager quit on me a while ago so i'm doing all that work now right so my days are super long and it's not rocket science but it's very time consuming so you, you know your, your gym managing a gym pins you down it really pins you down in terms of what you can and can't do because, you know, it's always, oh, you got to enjoy your best life. And you see these people posting pictures of living on a beach and a yacht. I'm like, okay, if that's what you aspire for, don't open a gym. If you want a relaxed life of chill and peace, don't open a gym. No matter how much money you can make, you're never going to be at peace because you blink and you'll lose your empire. What you built, that whole that time, all that work, 20 years, 30 years, you blink and you'll lose everything, Right. So you have to be at war the whole time. You have to be ready to be waging war against the world 24-7 because every single one of your competitors wants what you have, and they'll eat you alive if you blink. Yeah. And that's how it is. It's the nature of competition, and you have to understand that. And that's most of the stress. This is why that, that, that quote is so relevant. The heavy weighs the crown. Mm. You don't understand what it's like to be in that position until you're in that position because it sounds great to be a leader. Oh, gym owner, leader. Yeah, it's great until you're actually there. And you realize, man, I was actually happier before. Maybe your life was better before it, you know? So you have to you have to look at, not only that, don't expect anything from people. You teach it for the love of it, man. I, I got that from Ricardo Liborio. I had this conversation with him once. And he said, I was having this exact conversation. He says, Rob, give, give. When you're a coach, you give. And I'm like, man, isn't that the truth? 
you're giving, man. Don't expect if you get it, if you get something back, loyalty, money, friendship, great. Don't expect it. Don't expect any of those things because, like, most not my experience is like maybe not most people, but like a chunk of people out there won't give it to you, man. So, as long as you don't create high expectations, you won't disappoint yourself and you can just enjoy teaching for what it is as an end in itself, not a means to an end. And it only takes one bad coach. I mean, like, if you're you've also got to understand too, right? If you want to. You want to create a certain culture, you need to be there. You're not there, and then you have coaches, and then you're not there, and they're coaching, and they do something wrong. And it doesn't even have to be malicious, but they get you some bad reviews. They treat a, a person, they talk to a, a parent the wrong way, you know, and it, it's a snowball. And it could not, it may be not even your fault, but shit can go, you know, take a turn for for the worse pretty quickly. I couldn't agree more. You, you yeah. said it nail on the head and it's not just that someone they could i mean it's your name on the door they could destroy your life because of their mistake they molest someone it's you mm-hmm. it's your screwed you yeah. understand it's, it's, and not only that but like there's a every gym has its own culture if you're the leader you have to be in charge of that culture a hundred percent of the time and you can't blink yeah you're a constant state of alert if you want to run a tight ship like oh i want to relax and take a month off and go to the beach and don't be a gym owner then Find a yeah. different job. I have friends of mine. I have a, one of my best friends. He flips homes for a living. He makes way more money than me. He literally like lives in Bahamas and Tokyo. He travels the world for a living. <laughs> work for a computer. Makes way more money than me. And sometimes I'm jealous. He's like, fuck, man, maybe that's what I should do, you know? It doesn't seem that hard, you know? But then I'm like, man, I like to teach. Yeah. You know? So it, that you just have to really love to teach for what it is. Are you, are you hiring out there? Or are you looking for a new manager? We'll put it out there right now. I'm always <laughs> yeah. And I'll say this, man, it's getting harder and harder to hire. I don't know if I'm getting older and I'm turning into Clean Eastwood in that movie Grand Torino. <laughs> get so, off my lawn. <laughs> get off. I, I can see it. I might be turning into that guy. But I, I think that's like some of these kids in the early 20s that are coming out of high school are so entitled and like I can't, I have a hard yeah. time hiring. Man, yeah, man. it's like hire people that are my generation, but then they're ready to have careers. Yeah, so it's hard. It's very hard. To you hire. might you might need to get like a retiree, like somebody who's you know that does jujitsu, that's you know ready, like done with their career, maybe retired. I don't know. Yeah, I I hope I hope that you know that I'm just being pessimistic, but there's a part of me that's kind of my experience. I would like to grow, man. Like it's it. I think the and I was talking to IBJJF a while ago, I was talking to their leadership and. They think they run 130 tournaments a year now, right? And they said, Rob, we could probably do double that amount. It's just it's manpower. It's hard. It's not easy to grow because it's you're going to grow consistently. You need manpower, right? Qualify. And it's hard to find, man, because people, you know, it's, it's you know, they, I remember, man, like when I was a black belt, I was a world champion, world champion black belt, and I would drive to Sao Paulo to train. And if Leo wasn't teaching class, he'd ask me to teach class. I felt honored honored to replace my coach teaching all those badass black belts it didn't cross my mind to charge him right yeah i get purple belts that you offer them 25 dollars an hour and they're like i'm not gonna work for 25 dollars an hour purple belt i'm like whoa something changed man i was like if i were a purple belt i'd be happy to teach for free shit i'm honored when my coach has like a new student come in and he's like hey mel could you work with him you know, uh, that, I'll usually get me. like the bigger guy. Like they'll be like, oh, yeah, this guy's like two, two twenty plus. Hey, Mill, take this guy, work with him. Yeah, I love I'm that. Honored. When I when 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 I feel that, I remember my coach and asked for help, and I'm like, I got nervous, man. I got like, I'm like, oh, I'm gonna prove coach that I'm a great coach, and I can replace him. <laughs> when he, you know, like, 
but like I get the attitude. Some people are like, I'm not going to help. I'm too good for that. You know, yeah. and I don't know if the internet turned everyone into a narcissist or what, but like, I think that's some of it. Yeah. It, Instagram made everyone a superstar. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a few more minutes? I want, we're going to go through our drill down. Uh, I don't know if I'm, if I'm keeping you too long, you're good. Okay. Like maybe like another 10 minutes. So we're going to get into what we call the drill down. <laughs> the sound effects guy over here. Uh, so, okay, we'll go through these again. I, when uh, I tell people all the time, we used to call it a speed round. It's not no, necessarily a speed round, but you can elaborate if you want to, but we can go quick as, as well. So we'll start with the first question, ghee or no ghee? What's your preference? Right now, ghee, but it's changed. Right. Okay. I go back and forth. I've never, it's always been 51, 49, back and forth, those two. Yeah, the more, the longer I'm doing this, the more I'm like, I have my, like, I, my no ghee jujitsu is like Friday, Saturday, we do like no ghee uh at, at my gym so i'm like i don't want to miss those days so i go through those times and then sometimes i'm just like okay no, i'm just gonna i'll hit the open mat on sunday uh take down or pull guard right now take down back in the day pull guard all yeah day. okay i got heavy i got heavy i got hard to pull guard <laughs> music during rolling yes or no do you have the music blasted in the in the school yeah yeah 80s all day. Yeah, I was gonna, what's your your go to? 80s uh, 80s pop or rock? Both. Anything or... but rap. Rap is not allowed during. Really? Oh, did we lose him? Or did we get stuck like, there? Yeah, yeah uh, classic rock. Classic rock. Uh, 80s rock. 90s rock. All cool. Yeah, I just went through a little uh, the other night. I just did a, like Apple Music uh, 80s hits. So that I can save some new music to my phone. So I was listening to Jesse's Girl on the way to the podcast today. <laughs> I was rocking out. Uh, so you, with so much going on in your life, you got the gym, you've got the books, you're you're producing the movie. Are you watching uh, like UFCs and do you watch like the IBJJFs or do you know maybe just watch your favorite competitors when they're when they're fighting in these tournaments? Are you a consumer of this product of of you know what's uh, what's out there like flow grappling and things like that? Uh, I always follow results. I always check results. I think that it's a better way of understanding what's happening to jiu-jitsu. That way you don't fall to the hype. A lot of times, yeah. like, there's a highlight on one guy to one girl, and then there's all these other guys that are winning more, but they're yeah. not marketable. So yeah. I, I think a better, more, like, is just look at the look at the facts, look at the, the results. I always follow results. The big events, not the small ones, right? So, But I, I like to watch, like, eventually I watch the highlights or some matches, like, I, w I was watching the last UFC fight pass. I was there. Someone invited me. Felipe Pena. He was like trained at the gym the day before. He sure. got me and I watched it. Oh, cool. I, I don't watch all the UFCs. If I have a friend fighting, I'll watch it. Otherwise, I'm not commentating on the next UFC. There's a studio in town asking me to go commentate. Not the official UFC, but okay. like, yeah, uh, um, goes and those guys from the. Uh, um, they'd have like a little show that like the fight companion kind of stuff. Like Rogan does the fight companion, like that stuff. Yeah, so that's I get invited to stuff like that every now and then, um, but I don't really watch uh, um, all events. It's too many, man. Yeah. Fun. So not only that, my weekends, man. I want to watch Dave Chappelle, bro. I want to watch, <laughs> watch something else. I, guess I have a hard time like giving my weekends to jujitsu when I already give so much of my time to jujitsu during the week. Yeah. I, I, there's always there was a there's a joke I don't know the joke but it's like an accountant doesn't want to go home and then look at numbers right he's looked at numbers all all Monday through Friday he wants to go home and have a beer and do something completely different uh, I I think maybe it's a little bit different in the jujitsu world because it's like I guess you know for somebody that doesn't own a school like anytime I can get do more jujitsu be talking about it be watching something I take that opportunity but I I get 
it, it goes back to when when the hobby or the passion becomes the job, it changes, and I don't think people realize that. Yes, I love jujitsu, but then running a gym, now it brings on this whole other thing. It's a business, and you like you said, spreadsheets and all the other things you have to worry about. Then it's, sometimes it becomes not so fun, you know, after a while. Yeah. And it's just maybe nice to just roll with somebody or go to another school and go to an open mat or something like that, right? Man, like, I just say, man, like, you know, I've been doing this for 26 years now, going on 26. You know, I love jujitsu. But I love other things too, man. I love music. I love comedies. I love books. I love there's all these other things. You got young like, kids, right? You have a couple of girls, right? I have a couple of girls, man. Yeah. So like, you know, I have a girlfriend, man. Like, I have all these things. It's you know, I don't always. It's not. I'm not a hundred percent jujitsu person. Like, I'm ninety percent jujitsu. The other ten percent are these other things that I also love, and I think it's a healthy balance. So I have to know. I am recently single. Does your girlfriend do jujitsu? Did you meet her? Is she somebody that's in the sport? No, she just started training. I don't want her to. Oh, nice. No? I try to keep her off jujitsu. She wants to train. I'm like, no, don't train. Really? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I was in my face all day. I need a break. I, <laughs> I, I, I kind of feel like I'm the opposite. I feel like it was, uh, it, it, it was a negative in my relationship, in my marriage, because yeah, I love jujitsu so much that it was just like, Wearing another jujitsu shirt, going oh, going to do another podcast. Oh, you're oh, jujitsu again? No, jujitsu, jujitsu, jujitsu. I'm like, it's what's putting the roof over your head and that new car in the driveway. Like, you know, come on, jump on board, get on board. I'm glad you chose jujitsu though. <laughs> friends, like, if girl doesn't like you doing jujitsu, then she's got to go. It's not jujitsu first. It took a while. It took a while for her to get used to it. That battle, man. You can't. Yeah. Uh, here's the Man, like I, I've been married to two jujitsu girls, and it's it's it can be it can be really good because you do have a lot in common, but at the same time, you're 100 percent of what you do is together. It's like, geez, man, like, yeah. If you're in, no matter how much you love someone, if you're in each other's face all day, you're gonna start getting underneath each other's skin after a while. So you need a break. Sure. So I think a healthy thing to do is to find a hobby outside of jujitsu where you're, you know, your partner is not involved. Yeah. I think that's all. Yeah. yeah, I think that's true for almost anything, though, like anything where you're, if like you're running a business and they're part of it, like I'm not I didn't want her part of the business, but it would have been nice for her to train or, hey, let me show you how to do this thing. Like, you know, you're a woman, your daughter's going to college, you know, like, let's let's learn some basics. No, not no interest. And a little bit more because, oh, you're trying to get me into jujitsu. Nope, not going to let you get me into jujitsu. No, I see what you're doing by you just want to teach me some stuff. But then you're going to want me to go to the school. It was never that. It was just like, let me show you this. You're living with somebody who's been doing this for, you know, almost a decade. Let's, you know, take advantage of that. But she didn't. So anyway, so okay, so we got a couple more questions and then we're going to let you run. So ultimate goal in the world of jujitsu. What would you like your legacy to be? Um, I mean, I've had so many students over the years, right? Like Brazil here. I think I'm getting close to 200 black belts now. Wow. Worldwide. Yeah. Um, I would like, you know, to know that the people I have you know, lived with, people that I have, like, you know, been in my life and I've been in theirs, that the overall, overall has been positive, you know, the, 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 as far as like their their perception of me, you know, like that's not with everyone. It's not going to be unanimous. Some people aren't going to like you and that's life. You know, I, I've given up on trying to get everyone to like me. I think I started life like that. Everyone's going to have to like me. And I very quickly gave up on it because to get everyone to like you means not being who you are. Yeah. It's something like who you are. And I'm not willing to sacrifice who I am at heart to please people that I barely know and don't bring anything into my life. So 
I'm perfectly willing, I'm mature enough to let people out of my life. This is who I am. You can tag along or not. Uh, but I think that the overall, I mean, I hope that the overall, that people, you know, from, uh, you know, students, friends, family is, is a positive one. If that's my legacy, I feel, I mean, I would like to be in my deathbed one day and look back in my life and go, I have done more good than bad, you know? And if, if the overall math is positive, that I've done more good than bad to people in the world, I feel like it was a good life, you know? And if I achieve that through jujitsu, you know, and mission accomplished. Okay. So I had this question. You did mention you're writing another book. My question I added to, for this one was, would you write another book? You're on your second book. You just put out your second book. You are writing a third. I have it. I have the, I have like many notes. Like I'll like, I'll be like driving or like about to fall asleep and I I'll get out of bed and I'll write down the notes. That's when I have my ideas is when I'm like not thinking about it. They randomly so, like drive normally. That's what's always when I'm driving or about to go to sleep. I'll have like an idea and I'll write it down. So I have like probably like 20, 30 pages of notes. So what comes first, the notes? And then it's just like, oh, these notes are kind of like there's a some there's a uh, an overarching concept that's that's starting to develop here. And the book is going to be about this. I mean, the first book was about the documentary. The second book, what would you say this was specifically, you know, did you do it like that? Like ideas started to come together or are you like the title came first and then I wrote the book? Uh, the second one was a sequel to the first one, really. You, okay. you can read, easily eat, read them independently. Okay. But the second one deals almost exclusively with where the first one kind of dropped off, you know? Okay. So they kinda, they, they're good sequels, I guess. You know, they, they follow, the second one follows well from, from, from the first one. But this third one is not history. It's like, it's sort of like a historical novel. Okay. Uh, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. So it takes place. The background is Carlson Grace's gym. And the Brazilian dictatorship, so it has a political background as well, because that's all both happening at the same time. Uh, so I have notes of like I have like characters that I'm creating in my head, and they have like their personalities. So I'm trying to, I'm in the process of developing the plot and the characters. But that might be, man. Honestly, it's I already see it's going to be so much work that it's going to be hard. I'm trying to move my schedule so I can like set aside two hours in the morning every morning before my class so I can write, so I can maybe finish in a year or two. I don't know. I don't know how long yeah. it's going to take. I, I really want to do it, man, because I think it would be a good way for people to understand what was what has been lost. Because I don't think people fully appreciate you, things you, have been that have been lost. In do you think that's going to be a little bit easier though? Like because you don't have to if, if you're coming up with characters and writing stories, is it a little bit easier than having to do all those that research and and like check you know fact check yourself? Uh, you know, some, man. But the thing is, like you know, I can be somewhat of a perfectionist sometimes. With certain things not everything but i might have to rewrite right and like it's not good and I'm, i can see myself going back and forth and like for a long long time doing that you know and even my my first two books you know like i still look back at them and i go i would change that i want to rewrite that i'm going to change that i think that's with everything i think that's with just about anything i do that with if we create a logo for a client or when i watch a podcast i think we're the, our biggest critics and I, you know i i I stopped doing that when I had people come up to me in the gym who are listeners and was like, that was my favorite episode. And I was like the most critical. And they're like, oh, bro, that episode where you talk to this guy about this thing. And that was like my favorite one you've done. And I'm just like, man, that was I thought it was the worst. I thought I was so critical of myself. And I don't, I just don't let myself go down that road anymore. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, it's, I think it's normal. I think that I heard this before, like a painter can paint something and just like always go back and change something. It's like a work in progress. The Mona Lisa. Point, yeah, it's never done, man. And then you can just go back and just 
finish it and finish it and finish it and it's never done. But I like to think that even my books, however flawed they may be, they were a picture of my mind in that time and place. Okay. And it had been a perfect picture, but that's where I was when I wrote that. So at the very least, it's a portrait of what I understood things to be at that particular time. And I'm sure I'll feel differently about it 20, 30 years from now. But, you know, I have you have to you have to accept yourself as a whole. You know, you're 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 a changing thing. You're not this fixed, ready thing. You know, you're a project in, in the works. We all are. So I accept yeah. that. And, you know, but I don't like it. Sometimes I like read things that I've wrote and said. I'm like, oh, I cringe, man. Like, oh. <laughs> I try. I have to watch the pod. I usually like zip through the podcast to like pull uh, to pull snippets or to like just to review, make sure like all the sponsor logos look good, like things look good. But I find myself when I sometimes I listen to it because I'm just like, wow, I just had fun with that. I really want to listen to it. But sometimes I'm watching and I become overly critical. So I just stop watching them all the way through. And if I do watch them, I'm watching them a little faster because I'm reviewing them. So I turn up the speed. So then I don't, I'm not as critical because it's, I don't know, it's just going faster and it's not like the real way that it, that somebody's looking at it, you know? So I don't know. All right. Last question. The most important, oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Not being critical of yourself is a good thing. Yeah. It should be that way. Yeah. To a degree, to a degree. But don't, you know, when you get overly critical, it's just like now you start getting into your own mind. Don't put yourself down. So, okay. Last question. This is the big one. I don't know if you remember our very last question. I, we've had, we had to have asked you this. Do you or do you not wash your jujitsu belt? Tell the people. I started washing it recently. <laughs> I hear that a lot lately. Post-COVID, that comes up a lot. Man, you know what? I, I don't know if it was COVID. It might have been, man, because I spend the good, you know, for the for the longest time. I had. I think Chris Howder said something today. Like, I like to think that there's a little piece of yeah. it on my belt. And that's exactly what I would say. It's like, that's exactly what I would say. But, you know, and then like someone, I said it was someone who didn't train jiu-jitsu that felt it was so grossed out. It's like, imagine you like wearing like a, any kind of piece of garment that you rolled around sweaty on every day for years and never washed. It's like, that is pretty gross. What I would do is I put my belt in the sun to kill the bacteria because at least it kills the bacteria, the very least, right? Mm -hmm. Dirty, but at least it doesn't smell. But uh, I don't wash it all the time. Maybe like once a year, maybe twice a year. Oh, that's it? Oh. Yeah, I don't wash it all the time. It ruins I, the belt too, you know. It makes it look old. Yeah. So I've this is more recent. I could we have neutral zone. We have like a like the neutral zone clean products. So they have a spray. So I use the spray. And if I happen to be out of the spray because it, it kills bacteria and and all the you know kind of stuff and all that stuff, I will use Lysol if I don't have the spray. So I'll Lysol. But I do. I'm washing them at least once a week. So I'm washing them at, you know, every couple of training sessions. But if I don't, I'm usually spraying them with something. And now I've started spraying my bag and things like that. I'm like, wait a minute. I put my dirty belt in the bag. I wonder what's in the bag. So now I spray the bag, you know, so I, I try to keep it clean. But I've always been like that. I was always that guy. And then I have like a little bag that I carry. There's a, a company called Stinky Bag. Um, they sent us some stuff when we first started the podcast. And it's pretty big. They have a couple different sizes. Then they made them. They they really kind of took off during COVID because they were like here for doctors and nurses to put their scrubs in and take them home and wash them, right? You don't want to go home with that, you know, COVID on your clothing for your family. Well, they started to like hit up jujitsu podcasts and things like that. And I put my geese stuff in there, I bring it home and then I throw it in the wash. And some of the stuff, you can leave it in the bag, it, it opens up from the bottom. It's in a mesh bag and you can just throw it in. I usually take out the top because the top is too big. But uh, you could throw it in. So I usually leave my belt if I have wraps or like knee pads, elbow pads, things like that. I leave it in there. So, all right. 
we'll give you a chance. Do you want to give anybody a shout out? Like you tell everybody, give them uh, your Instagram handles, let them know where your gym is. And if you want to shout any sponsors or anybody you're working with, now's your time. Uh, yes. Uh, well, I'm in Las Vegas, Nevada, 2000 South Rainbow. If you're ever in Vegas for whatever reason, stop by. Uh, I, the only social media I use is Instagram. I feel like there's too many platforms. I can't keep up. So it's at Robert Drysdale JJ. All right. Um, so, uh, yeah, come by the gym anytime. Uh, check out the books. There's an audible version. There's a, it's on, they're both on Kindle. They're both on audible. So opening closed guard and the rise and evolution of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, the Portuguese version of, uh, the rise and evolution just came out today. So oh, very cool. Congrats. It came out today, the Portuguese version. The other one is in Portuguese, English, Spanish, and Polish. Oh, very nice. Wow. Yeah. So that, those are all available on my website as well, closedguardfilm.com. And stay tuned for the documentary. It's going to happen. I'm not quitting. I know it's the last thing I do in my life. It's going to happen. <laughs> awesome. And yeah, come train, man. I'm not very political. Yeah. And it's so feel free to, to stop by. All right. Very cool. Like I said, don't hang up. We're going to take a couple of pictures and we're going to let you go. But thank you again for doing this. Thank you to Feito IT and AV. Specializing in commercial and residential automation, security cameras, CCTV, POS, and more. Check them out at feitoitav.com or call 305-428-2515 and let them know the dummies sent you. The Jiu-Jitsu Dummies would like to congratulate Neutral Zone Clean on the release of their newest product, a healthy and pH-balanced bar soap that's perfect for anyone looking to take care of their skin. This soap is made with all natural ingredients that help nourish and restore your skin's natural barrier. It contains glycerin, which naturally attracts moisture to itself in the skin, leaving it feeling soft and hydrated. The new bar soap also contains a blend of olive, coconut, and castor oils, and shea butter, which are rich in vitamins, nutrients, essential fatty acids, and antioxidants that help fight harmful bacteria. With tea tree and other natural ingredients, it also helps in the prevention of fungal infections. Not only is it effective, but it also leaves your skin feeling fresh and lightly scented. It's gentle enough for even the most sensitive skin, making it a perfect choice for the whole family. Be sure to check out their website, NeutralZoneClean.com, for a range of all-natural products, including sprays, wipes, and shower gels, and use code JJD for 15% off your order. Special thank you to the crew over at Flow & Roll for all their support. Flow & Roll is renowned for their incredible Nogi rash guards, shorts, and leggings. Flow & Roll has quickly become the premier custom apparel provider for academies big and small throughout the United States. Reach out today to discuss your custom order and ask about their incredible pre-order program. You can send an email to flowenroll at gmail.com or visit their Instagram at flow underscore n underscore roll and shoot them a direct message. And yes, they can create an awesome custom gi for your academy as well. Visit flowenroll.com to check out their awesome designs, and while you're there, pick up a Jiu-Jitsu Dummy Signature Tee exclusively at flowenroll.com. And remember, you'll get 20% off your purchase of T-shirts, rash guards, or geese with code JJD. Let me just wrap up with saying uh, check us out on uh, on Instagram where, where we're probably the, the strongest, at Jiu-Jitsu Dummies. You can see all the ways to watch, listen, and support by clicking the link in the bio. Uh, I'm Uncle Milty BJJ on Instagram. Bo, go ahead. You want to hit him with your, uh, give him your left handy. What is your handy wisdom? What is it? Handy underscore wisdom. You can check out Bo and what he's up to. It's really cool and kind of funny. Thank you for watching and listening, everybody. Peace, love, jujitsu. Us. Jitsu.